hold a mic in his hand is that actually many years ago we got him in the second hand shop but <laughs> hope it will get better than that as we go through but at any rate we, we come to, to look at uh, God's word this morning and um, I don't know whether you like myself uh, like some of those adverts on, on television um, I particularly like the Specsaver adverts, and uh, I always find them quite uh, quite amusing. I, I like that one with the older couple, and they sit down to enjoy their cheese sandwiches, and suddenly they're caught in in a cage, and they're on uh, some ride, which absolutely terrifies them. And you see them wobbling away at the end, and he's saying to his wife, "I don't know what you put in those cheese sandwiches." And the advert is, of course, you should have gone to Specsavers. They sat down in the wrong place because they couldn't see properly. I wonder what kind of glasses you're wearing this morning, uh, whether you're seeing things clearly. And indeed, if we look at the book of Ecclesiastes, we can see there that the uh, Solomon, who was the writer of this, uh, looks through the spectacles of unbelief and he also looks through the spectacles of belief. As he looks through the spectacles of unbelief, as so many people do, nothing makes sense. If you leave God out of the equation, nothing is seen clearly. All is vanity, meaningless, a chasing after the wind. A number, a couple of years ago, I went to a funeral. I'd never been to a funeral like it before. It was a secular funeral. There was no mention of God. And it struck me because the lady who was leading that funeral actually quoted from this particular book, Ecclesiastes. I don't think she knew she was quoting from it. And she quoted the word, There is a time for everything and a, uh, a time to be born and a time to die. She didn't say anything about heaven, but she said there is a time for everything, a time to be born and a time to die. What she didn't realize was that Ecclesiastes taught the futility of life without God. No substance in this life. It's just like the morning mist, it vanishes away if we look at life through the spectacles of unbelief. Looking at the world in that way, we come to the conclusion of Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 14. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. That's the spectacles of unbelief. But if we look through the spectacles of belief, we see God is, we see God's hand in all things and His purposes being worked out. And if we look through the spectacles of unbelief, of course, we'll reach a different conclusion. Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 24. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God, for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? Or Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 14. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that men may revere him. 
So Solomon reaches a conclusion that men ought to seek God from their youth. And when he comes to the end of the, Ecclesi- the book of Ecclesiastes, he says to young people in particular, remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach, when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. So always look through the spectacles of belief. Do it constantly from youth upwards for that will lead to a happy and blessed life. So I ask you the question this morning, what spectacles are you wearing? Are they the spectacles of belief or the spectacles of unbelief? And if your particular circumstances this morning mean that you're not seeing clearly, I trust that this message will enable you to see that all things are indeed in God's hands. And as Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 1 says, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. So what do these verses teach us that we read together this morning? Well, the first thing I want to do is to lay down a principle, which I think he does in his that first verse. There is a time for everything and a season for everything every activity under heaven. And the principle is surely this, that time is in God's hands. Time is at the heart of this section of Scripture. Solomon wants us to know that God ordains all events and that everything happens according to his timetable. There is an appointed period for every activity, for all that happens in life. It was true in Solomon's day, and it hasn't stopped being true that time is in God's hands. And the principle is not just here. Indeed, it is right throughout Scripture. For isn't God the creator of time? Go back to Genesis 1 and verse 1. And we have a beginning. A beginning of what? The beginning of time. Before that, there was eternity. But in the beginning, at the start of it all, when the clock began to tick, it was by the hand of an almighty, all-powerful God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It was God who ordained that the clock would begin to tick. It was in the hands of eternal God. The days, the nights, the seasons were all ordained by him. He himself, of course, remains outside of time. He is the eternal I Am. He is the eternal, ever-present God. He's not restricted by time as you and I are restricted by time. We read that one day with him is as a thousand years, and a thousand years are as one day. God ordains time. There is a time for everything. And God ordained at that time. If it's true that God is the creator of time, it is also true that God will bring time to an end. 
We see that in our own individual lives. We are told there, a time to be born and a time to die. Since time is in his hands, it follows that it is his prerogative to bring time to an end. It's true for us as individual, but it's true also for the whole of time. An old hymn puts it like this, when the trumpet of the Lord will sound and time will be no more. A time will be ushered in. The Bible calls it the day of judgment. Eternity will then come, time will come to an end and eternity will be ushered in. Paul makes this very clear when he preaches at Athens in Acts chapter 17 and verse 31. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. An eternity which will be heaven for those who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ or hell for those who have not put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember that it will be at that time Eternity, an eternal life, or an eternal death. There will be no end. Now if God is the creator of time, and God who will also bring time to an end, it surely follows, and we're still looking at the principle of time, that all things in between are according to his timetable. Chapter 3 and verse 1 makes it clear. And particularly in the authorized version, it puts it like this. A time for every purpose under the heaven. It is his purpose that we're talking about here, that Solomon is mentioning. We mustn't think of God as any kind of divine watchmaker who made the watch at the beginning of time, who wound it up, and left it to run on its own sweet way. No, God is intimately involved in his creation, in the timing of events. And scripture is clear about this. Right from Genesis through to Revelation, we see God working out his purposes in time. Individuals are involved. Nations are involved. But it is his purposes that are being worked out in time. Sometimes this comes across very clearly. When God announces his plan. Remember that time when Nebuchadnezzar had a dream? In Daniel chapter 2. And he read of a statue whose head was of gold and so forth right down to the feet. Part of iron and part of clay. Nebuchadnezzar didn't know what it meant, but Daniel, by the hand of God, is able to interpret the dream. And this is what he says in Daniel 2 and verse 45. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. 
The parts of the statue represented various kingdoms, various empires. They would all come to an end, but the time would come when God would set up a kingdom. He announces his plan because time is at his, in his hands. And of course we read, in the time of those kingdoms, a kingdom was set up. For Galatians 4 and verse 4 tells us, when the time had fully come, when God's plan had been brought to fruition, God sent his son, born of a woman, made under the law. And even as we look at the life of the Lord Jesus, we again see God ordaining time. There were occasions when Jesus was taken by men or could have been taken by men and thrown over a cliff or stoned to death. But the Bible tells us his time was not yet. But then Jesus prays in John 17 and verse 1, Father, he says, the time has come. And he hangs on the cross according to God's timetable because time was in God's hands. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. That is the principle. God is the creator of time. There will come a time when God will bring time to an end and usher in eternity. And all that happens in between are according to his perfect timetable. You say to me, well, that's all right. We've seen the big picture, but you don't know what's going on in my life. Am I, is my life in God's hands? Indeed, our life is in God's hands. And that's our second point this morning. Every person born into this world is born according to God's timetable. Oh, I know we could look at this biologically. Two people come together and nine months later a child is born. But nothing, but nothing happens outside of his control. He is a giver of life. Paul preaches to the people of Athens. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. For in him we live and move and have our being. We are his offspring. And Paul wasn't preaching there to Christians. He was preaching to a heathen people. But he says, your times ultimately are in God's hands. They have been set by him. He has determined your times and the exact places where you should live. You are, he says, ultimately God's offspring. And when Solomon pens these lines, he says very clearly, that a time has been set for all men and women. A time to be born and a time to die. 
Psalm 139 and verse 16. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And isn't that what Solomon is saying here to us all? Everything that happens in between our birth and our death is part of God's plan for each one of us. Look at verses 2 down to verse 8. And Solomon gives a list of contrasts. He gives them so that we might know that everything takes place according to his appointed timetable. One writer has put it like this. Every detail of life serves an overall purpose and plays its part in bringing that purpose to pass. Seemingly chance events are all tied up in his eternal plan. All of these activities, all of these happenings that he lists there are according to his purpose. There's a story told of a man who was sent on a horse to bring reinforcements in order that a battle might be fought. It was an important battle. But the blacksmith hadn't done a very good job on the horse's shoe. A nail hadn't been placed properly, so on the way, the man, uh, the horse became lame because the shoe was loose. So the reinforcements were not brought. The battle was lost and the kingdom was lost. And somebody wrote a little rhyme on it. For want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For want of a horse, the rider was lost. For want of a rider, the battle was lost. For want of a battle, a kingdom was lost. And all for the want of a horseshoe nail. The little things in life that seem so unimportant are all working according to his purpose. Those times in our lives, the planting, the uprooting, the weeping, the laughing, the mourning, the dancing, the war, the peace, they're all part of the fabric of our everyday lives, all ordained by God because our times are in his hands. What he is saying, surely, the good times and the bad times, the highs and the lows of everyday life, our health, our illnesses, our birth and our death. For the believer, they are part of those all things that work together for good to those that love God and to those that are the called according to his purpose. All that takes place between our life and death happens under his sovereign hand. Our times have been ordained for us. And of course there are so many applications to this truth that help us today. Help us today as we meet the demands that are placed upon us in our day-to-day -day life. That will help us in the weeks that lie ahead 
And I want to close with a number of applications. The first application is surely this, that life has meaning as we remember these truths. The unbeliever looks at everything as luck or, or chance. Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. A fatalistic approach he may have. But the believer says with Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11, the latter part of it, he has set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to end. But the believer can recognize the hand of God, and he knows that his life has meaning. Everything, you see, is meaningless if we leave God out. We can work. But what do we work for? To leave any money that we may earn to someone else. But the Christian believes that seemingly chance events are all tied up into God's eternal plan. He knows that he's not a mere cog in a wheel, but here for the glory of God, to be pleasing to God. And the sad times and the hard times work for his good and the glory of God. And he's able to say with the psalmist, my times are in your hands. He has, you see, this confidence in God. A confidence that God is able to work his purposes out. A confidence that God works out everything according to the counsel of his will. Do you recognize then God as being the author of time? Do you recognize that God is working his purpose out in your life today? Life has meaning if you remember these truths. The second application is surely this. We should not be anxious regarding our times. William Freeman Lloyd wrote a hymn. And this is what he said in his hymn. My times are in thy hand. Why should I doubt or fear? A father's hand will never cause his child a needless tear. Doesn't mean to say we won't cry as different things happen to us in time. But there won't be a needless tear. We should not be anxious about our times. And we are anxious at times, aren't we? We worry about the past, which we cannot alter we worry about the present because things happen to us that seem to be outside of our control. I've been reading in my own quiet time through the book of Job. What a difficult time that man had. He doesn't understand what is happening to him. And even as we come to the end of the book, he doesn't fully understand what God is doing. And yet behind it all, there's this trust in the living God. And we can have that trust too. We should not be anxious concerning what is happening to us in the present. 
but also we worry, don't we, about the future as we see problems arising. Yes, we enjoy the planting, but perhaps we don't like the uprooting. Perhaps there's those times when we like to build, but we don't like the tearing down. The difficulties that come into our life, and we're worried about what might happen in the future. So that we live, not as those who recognize that there is a purpose to every activity under heaven, but we live our lives as practical atheists, failing to put into practice what we say we believe. But God is in control. No season, no event, no time is outside of his control. And we can trust him. It is this attitude that gave Paul the contentment that he had. You remember how he speaks in Philippians 4 and verse 11? He's received a gift and he thanks the people for their gift. But he says, I'm not speaking in respect of want because I says, he says, I've learned in whatsoever state I am. Whatever the circumstances, I've learned to be content. And the secret of contentment is surely to recognize the hand of God in our times. We should not be anxious about those times. A farmer was once asked the question, what was the reason for his contentment? Well, he said, it's, it's like this, he said. When it rains, I let it. And there's a lot of truth in that, isn't there? There are things that we cannot alter. But oh, that we might learn to be content. Whatever happens to our time, God ultimately knows what is best for us. Uh, you may say to me, what happens then regarding the problem of sin? We may be sinned against. We may sin ourselves. Is this out of God's timetable? Well, we are responsible for our sin. And we will have to answer for our sin the same as everybody will have to answer for their sin. But ultimately, even sin itself cannot thwart the purposes of God. He can and he does overrule to bring about his purposes, those seasons for his activity under heaven. We see this in the life of Joseph. Remember, his brothers sold him. You meant it for evil, he said. God meant it for good. It doesn't excuse his brother's sins, but it sees God overruling the wickedness of men to bring about his purposes. And do not we see this in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ? God planned in all eternity the death of his beloved Son upon the cross of Calvary. This man, says Peter on the day of Pentecost, filled with the Spirit, I remind you, this man was handed over to you by, according to God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death, nailing him to the cross. Wicked men put Jesus on the cross, but it worked the purposes of God. Had not sin 
still work the purposes of God today? I know who holds the future and he'll guide me with his hand. With God things don't just happen, everything by him is planned. So as I face tomorrow with its problems large and small, I'll trust the God of miracles, give to him my all. Time is in his hands. Two final points in, by a way of application. We should all of us remember that we are here for such a time as this. If we believe that there is a time to be born, and the Bible says that that is a time, and if we believe that our times are in God's hands, it follows that we are here now because the Lord has planned us to be here at this time. Remember the story of Esther? Remember that drunken banquet where the queen who rejected, rejected her husband's request? Remember the sordid beauty contest? Remember how Esther keeps quiet about her Jewish heritage and she comes to the throne? Remember what is said to her? You are here for such a time as this. And the Jewish people are saved. We are here for such a time as this. We are here to serve our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. In our places of employment, we are here for such a time as this. In our schools, in our hospital bed, in our university, at the particular address that we live in. There are neighbours around about us. We are here for such a time as this. And we're here as part of this church for such a time as this. We are to live our lives as Jesus lived his life. He submitted himself to God's timetable for his life. Anything else is just so much meaninglessness. We are here for such a time as this. And the final word by way of application. We are not here forever, ever. In the little booklet, it spoke of a, a man is speaking, he's writing it, being in his early 80s. And he's saying there's more before me than is behind me. He was in effect saying that there is an eternity to face. He says, when I get together with my colleagues now, we always have an organ recital. How's your heart? How's your kidneys? How's your back? It's always an organ recital. But we're not here forever. That was the burden of the book. We are ever complaining, said someone, that our days are few and at the same time acting as though they will never end. There is a time to die. Sometimes the Christian is accused of not living in the real world. But I would argue, and Scripture would argue, that it's only the Christian who lives in the real world. 
Because the Christian lives in the light of eternity. He always remembers that his citizenship is in heaven. You and I are not here forever. And that God will bring our life to a close. It may be while we're still young. So young people here this morning, live your life in the light of eternity. We turn on the radio, don't we? And we hear of a, of a seven-year-old being suddenly struck by a truck or whatever it was and killed, ushered into eternity. We never know. Death comes to us all at some time. Day will come when God will bring our lives to a close. Therefore, we should constantly live to redeem the time. We should use it wisely and well. Time, said a writer, is the deposit each one of us has in the bank of God. And no one knows the balance. We can check our balance in the bank, but we can't check our balance as far as time is concerned. So let us live our lives, as one man put it, as though Jesus died yesterday, rose again from the dead today, and is coming again tomorrow. Eternity. A time to be born. A time to die. And all the times in between, the planting, the uprooting, the embracing and the refraining from embracing, they're all part of his timetable. So let us live our lives remembering that we're not here forever. Our times are indeed in God's hands and there is a time for everything, a season for every activity under heaven. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your divine timetable. Help us to be ready to submit to it, both those difficult times and those joyous, joyous times. Those times, O oh Lord, that we face difficulties, may we face them, knowing that you're still working out your purposes, knowing that all things are working together for good to those that love God and to those that are according to his purpose. Help us to live our lives remembering that we do not know how many days we have left, indeed how many hours or minutes we may have left. So help us to live, to glorify you, in all that we say and do, in all circumstances of life. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.